0: the book of Esther today. Uh, great to be back. I, I, I got to give a shout out to my brother, Pastor Jordan, who brought the word last week. So, so thankful for him. Yes. And I uh, had a friend, Pastor Jesse, the week before, who I heard did an amazing job as well. And um, and and yeah, man, we I, I was glad that the church was in good hands while we were gone. In the beginning of Esther, well, I, I want to Give some background to this. This book is obviously about Esther, and it's named after Esther. And there's a couple books in the Bible that have a name of a female. So Esther is one. Ruth is another one. And women of God can do amazingly powerful things for the kingdom of God. And um, and 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 I like that. But this book, even though it's titled Esther, and it kind of is focused on the decisions that Esther has to make and the things she does. This book is very unique among all the 66 books of the Bible. Why? Because the book of Esther does not mention God one time. God is not found in this book. This book is primarily focused not on God himself, but on the people of God. And I want everybody to say that with me. Let's say that phrase together. People of God. Okay, one more time. People of God. This book is focused on the people of God. In fact, what's really going on, and the reason why Esther had to do what she did, which we'll get into, is because there was a threat against God's people. And this is what's really going on in this book. And and I want you to understand something because from the very beginning, God had chosen the people of Israel to be his own nation, his chosen nation. And For this reason, if you ever wonder why there are moments where we as a church might pray for Israel, or if we talk about Israel and how we support Israel, it is specifically not out of any political thing. Everybody always talks about the politics of everything. No, no, no. We support Israel. Why? Because the Bible tells us to. And we are people of the word of God. Is anybody with me on that? And, and, and this is important because what Israel was, was they were this chosen nation by God. They were chosen by God. Now, when we jump to the New Testament, we have a new chosen nation. Does anybody in this room belong to the new chosen nation? You and I. God has brought us into the fold to be a part of the family of God. And how many are grateful to Jesus for what he did for us to be a part of his family. But, but understand that this is really important because Israel was kind of like the seed. They, they were the beginning part of what God was doing. And then God eventually expands it when Jesus comes to include everybody else. But Paul in the New Testament makes it very, very clear that the gospel was given first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And so what we see in the book of Esther, and I want to just, because I'm going to kind of drill this home today for us, is that Satan has always been against the people of God. Satan will always be against the people of God. And which people of God am I talking about? Well, both. Satan will always be against the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And he will always be against the larger body of Christ, which you and I are included in. Grafted into the branches of Christ. And so, Satan is against us. And this book is a clear book that shows the enemy's desire to get rid of God's people. But I want to tell you today... Once again, if you belong to the people of God, give me an amen. Amen. I want to tell you today that it is a privilege to belong to the people of God. It doesn't matter if Satan rises up from hell itself to come after us. It is a privilege and an honor to be a part of God's family. And so in chapter 1, King Xerxes, he uh, was having a big party. A big banquet, brought a whole bunch of people. His wife, the queen, also had her own banquet, like, I guess, competing banquet, you know? And, and, and so either way, the king was doing his banquet, and the king had a little bit too much to, uh, to drink. And so he's a little drunk, and, and what he does is he calls his wife the queen over because this wife, Queen Vashti, was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And, and his thinking was, I'm going to impress all of my invited guests to show them the woman that I got, right? So he's, like, calling her to come so he can basically have her model in front of everybody and, and, and show, like, how amazing of a king he is. Well, the only problem was that Queen Vashti was like, no. Not going. And so he got really upset with the thing. And he calls together his smart guys and he says, hey, so, so what should I do? And, and all his smart men are, give him this advice. He's like, well, we, well, we got to do something. Because the way that she disrespected you, you know what's going to happen? If all the wives in the kingdom know what Queen Vashti did, then they're no longer going to respect their husbands. So we got a problem. So they decided that what they were going to do was they were going to banish her from the kingdom. And that's what they did. So he banishes Queen Vashti from the kingdom. And we get to the beginning of chapter 2. And in the beginning of chapter 2, there's a problem now. The king is kind of a little lonely. He's like, I want a queen like he got rid of the last one, right? So his wise guys, again, decide to uh, give him some advice and say, well, let's have kind of like a competition. We'll bring in a whole bunch of uh, virgin women, and, and then you kind of like decide which one you want to be the queen. And so that's what they do. And guess who was a part of that group? Esther. And Esther shows up as a part of that group, and she ends up being picked by the king to be his next queen. What a crazy reality because Esther is this Jewish woman who does not belong to this kingdom at all. Is completely out of place to be honest because she is the only Jewish woman that is around the palace and she is in a sense while she's the queen she's really all on her own, in a sense, inside the palace and the position that she is in. But there are moments where God places us strategically in order to accomplish the work of his kingdom. And and today, if there's anything that I want to get across to you, is that you and I, as the people of God, are people of the kingdom of God. And as people of the kingdom of God, we have a role to play and what God is doing on this earth. Is anybody with me? So in chapter three, what happens is a gentleman named Haman, although he wasn't really a gentleman, he gets really mad at Mordecai. Who's Mordecai? Mordecai is the cousin. A lot of people mistakenly call him the uncle. He kind of was like a father figure to her, but he's actually the cousin of Esther. And and a little situation happens where Haman is going around and everybody's bowing down before Haman but Mordecai's like this guy is shady or as the current young generation is going this guy is sus and um and and and, and so she Mordecai uh, Mordecai's like I am not bowing down before him at all by the way i use that language with my kids just so they laugh at me all right it's great um I'm not bowing down. So Haman gets really mad, and this is not in the bulletin or on the screen. Uh, if you have your Bible open, it's chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, so you can just listen. It says this. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. Now listen to this. you got to get this right here. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, or in other words, that Mordecai was a Jew, So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews. Everybody say all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So so Haman is mad at Mordecai for not bowing down to him, but he doesn't take it out on just Mordecai. He takes it out on the entirety of God's people. Now, why? Is Haman an evil guy? Yes. But there's more at work here that you need to understand. It's not about Haman. What's really going on is that the enemy is against all of God's people. And what Mordecai did was just the open door for the enemy to use to try to go after all of God's people. And this guy really was shady at the end of the day. So he goes to the king and he basically gets the king to write up this order to have all the Jewish people killed on a certain day. And then from there we get to chapter 4. I'm going to skip it because that's where I'm going to be preaching today. After that is Esther chapter 5 where she goes to the king and presents the problem to him. And um, in chapter 6... Mordecai actually gets honored. It keeps on going. Eventually, Haman is brought to justice for what he did. He is killed. And then eventually after that, Esther goes to the king a second time asking for help with the Jewish people. And the king says, the order that I made to kill the Jews cannot be taken away. But what I can do is make a second order. And his second order was that all the Jewish people could arm themselves to protect themselves. And that's what happened. And on the day that it came, God supported his people and the Jewish people rose up and defeated all of their enemies. And let me tell you, God takes care of his people. I'm going to say it again. Just You guys did a great amen, but i got to say it again. God takes care of his people. And if you are part of the family of God, God is going to take care of you. And so with that in mind, let's go to chapter 4 where I want to focus. On basically just a conversation between Mordecai and Esther and, and, and what happened there. The title of my message today is, For Such a time as this. Can everybody repeat that with me? For such a time as this. Chapter 4, right at verse 1. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, as in the order from the king for the Jewish people to be killed, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. And then the next part: what is the first thing that all the Jews did? They what? Fasted. Say it one more time, they what? They fasted, they fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. Now this is the way that the Jewish people would go about mourning when something was wrong. Whether it was because of their sins, and they recognized that that they needed to come to God for forgiveness. Or whether it was a situation that they couldn't control like this one. That they would mourn in this type of way. But the first word there is they fasted. One thing that the Jewish people got right and that we can get right as God's people is to understand this, that the first place we need to go when things get crazy is Jesus. You know what? I I, I find it really interesting when people on social media share like their worst problems that are going on right in the moment. And I have found out and realized that what happens is that because they have no hope, what they're hoping, now l- let me be clear. This is not an anti never share your problem, ever share your problems, you know, with friends on Facebook or wherever you want type thing. No, of course. I mean, there's people that share problems and ask for a prayer and all that, and that's great and wonderful. Um, what I'm talking about is people that write and put it out there in such a way that they're just hoping for everybody's pity and everybody to defend them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? because they're mad at somebody else and this person treated me bad and, and they put it all out there just for everybody to see. And, and, and those are people that are, what watch this, even if they're believers, it's a problem. They are hopeless because their first place that they go to is to get empathy from other people than to go to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I am broken and I am messed up and I've been mistreated, but God, I need you. I need you, I need you, Lord, to do something for me because I can't do it, but I know that you can. And I want to encourage you as the people of God, if Satan rises up against you, if things go really bad, if you are in difficulty, then you choose to step right to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the one that has the answer for what I need and for what I am going through. And so that's what they did. Oh, I, and, and, and one other thing is that there's a lot going around in the world today that when tragedies happen. Uh, c- can we understand for a second that there are actually not more tragedies happening today than there were before? The problem is we have access to the news 24-7. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? you would think that there are more hurricanes and tornadoes and all of that than ever before, when in reality there aren't, but you would think there are, because you weren't exposed to it as much 30 years ago as you are today. And and this is important, so a lot of times when a tragedy happens, people, especially Christians, will say something like, hey, I'm praying for you. And there's a lot of people that get upset and they're like, prayers aren't enough. Let me just tell you, they're wrong. Okay? They're wrong. Prayers are more than enough. You see, Esther had a responsibility to go to the king, but all of these people, they didn't have access to the king. There was nothing that they could do to resolve the situation except to pray. And so that's what they did. And listen, there are moments where there is nothing that can be done, but understand that prayer is absolutely powerful and in the hands of God will be used to do mighty things. So let's be a praying people. Look at somebody close to you and tell them, be a praying person. So when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was, what words does it say right there? She was what? Deeply distressed. Everybody say it with me. Deeply distressed. All right. Now, why was she deeply distressed? She was actually right here for all those, like, pro Esther people. I'm a pro Esther person, okay? But for all the super pro Esther people, she did screw up at the beginning, all right? And so she was a little bit selfish here. Why was she distressed? She was distressed because Mordecai's weeping and mourning made her uncomfortable. So what she wanted was for Mordecai to stop. That's what she wanted. Now, she had no idea what was going on, so she has that in her defense. But she didn't even care to ask. In fact, it says it right here. What did she do? She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap. In other words, she's just like... Get dressed, everything's okay. Whatever's going on, like, I don't want to deal with it. So just, can you stop mourning? And it says this, though, but he what? Refused it. He refused it. He's like, no. No, it's ridiculous. And after he refused it, then finally Esther gets the picture. Verse 5. Then Esther sent for hathach one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and do what? Find out. What was troubling him? So she got it right the second time, all right? to find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So in verse 6, it says, So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king. Everybody say, go to the king. To go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being, what word does it say right there? Without being invited, is doomed to die. Doomed to die. If you don't get invited by the king and you show up, you are doomed to die. I don't know if I like that system. You know, imagine if that was today and it was the church, right? Like, hey... You, you are not allowed to speak to the pastor unless he invites you. And if you come up and talk to me, you're dead. I'd be pretty protected. I mean, you know, it's, it's a way to do church, I guess. You know, you're never allowed to come and ask for prayer. If you do, you die, right? Somebody has to come up to you and tell you, do you want prayer for anything? But if you ask for it, it's a problem. No, I mean, thank God we don't live in that type of world right now. So you're doomed to die. Unless, there's one exception to this, the king holds out his golden scepter. So this is a bad situation, right? She needs to protect the people of Israel, so she needs to go talk to the king. But her chances are kind of like 50-50 right now, right? It's like 50% I die, 50% I live. But it's actually worse than that. I want you to read this second part with me Um, let's see, where this next part. Everybody read this together. What does it say? And the king has not called for me to come to him for what? 30 days. Now, this is important. You see, because the king had his queen, Esther, but the king also had a whole bunch of other women. And what this is saying, what she is saying, is that the king has been inviting other women, his concubines, to be with him, but he hasn't invited me for an entire month. Basically, what she's saying here is, he might be sick of me at this point. And if he's sick of me, this isn't like 50-50. This is now like 90% I die and 10% maybe I live. This is a pretty horrible situation, and I don't know if I want to risk it. And let me tell you, That in your life, this is gonna happen in your marriage, this is gonna happen in work, this might happen in relationships and friendships you have. You are going to come to a point where your only option is going to be to risk it all for the kingdom of God and to follow Jesus. And that will be your only option. And it's our natural tendency, like Esther, to want to give excuses to get out of what we know is the right thing to do. Because it'll just be easier. Because we we, we tend to want to protect ourselves. Is that not true? Is that not what humans do? Survival? I just want to survive. But let me tell you that as the people of God, our call is not a call to survival. Our call is a call to thrive in Jesus And to understand that in him we have hope because somebody can kill the body, but they cannot kill my soul. And my soul is fully alive in Jesus, and I know where I am spending eternity. But she has these excuses because she wants to get out of it. She doesn't want to risk anything. She wants to stay away from the difficulties, even if it means the death of her people, but at least I will be alive. So, Athak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Then, in verse 13, what's going on, guys? How's the preaching going? You liking it? Maybe I should give you the mic. You can preach too. Yeah. At least you get some milk while I'm preaching. That's great. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther Don't think for a moment, that because you're in the palace, what does he say right here? You will escape when all other Jews are killed. He's like, if all the other Jews are killed, guess what? You're dying too. Don't think that you're safe in the palace. But then he says something really interesting right after this. He makes it really, really clear. He says, and watch it right here in the second part of verse 13. I've got five, so, you know, they can run around. I'll just keep on talking. It is all good. We love kids in our church. I'm sorry. Was it something I said? Was it? (laughs) It's okay. We're all good. He says, listen, you're not going to be able to survive this. And notice the next part that he says. If we could put it up on the screen. If you keep quiet at a time like this, what does Mordecai say? Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. What I want you to see here and what he's saying is I want you to see his hope. He's telling Esther, listen, the people are not going to die. God cares for his people. But you have a job to do. And if you don't do your job, listen, God will still take care of his people, but you're going to die. And so Esther, the better option is to be a part of the work of the kingdom, to work for God's purposes rather than ignoring it and escaping it, because when you walk away from who God has called you to be, when you walk away from what God has called you to, oh, you may not die physically, but there is a death that happens at the level of the soul, and I'm not talking about where your eternity will be. No, no, no. You believe in Jesus. You are going to heaven home with him, but the rest of your life you will live answer asking this question, what if? What if I had done what God told me to do? What if I had followed Jesus down that path? And you will live the rest of your life wondering what it would have looked like if you would have risked it all for the sake of Christ. And I'm telling you that there are moments in your life that come where you have to make that decision because God has placed you on this earth with a purpose And God, I want you to know this, God will always care for his people. And who again is in this room and you are a part of the family of God. And when you live your life for the purposes of the kingdom, God is going to care for you. This is so important to understand. And then he says this in the second part of verse 14. I want everybody to read this together. This is the core of the message. Who knows, let's read it. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Who knows if you were made for such a time as this? And I want to tell you today that you are alive today for such a time as this. You are working where you are working for such a time as this. God has placed you where he has placed you for such a time as this. God has put you in the family he has put you in for such a time as this. And the reality is what happens so often is we wanna be like this picture of this animal that does a thing with their head, the ostrich. The head in the sand or in the dirt. Now, I just want you to know that the reason why ostriches put their heads in the dirt is not to ignore the world. The reason why they do it actually is because they have eggs that they have laid and they are moving them around and making sure that they're protected. Um, So, in case you thought that the ostrich was just being weak or something, it's not. It's being a good mom, all right? But from this, we have gotten our phrase putting your head in the sand to basically ignore everything that is going on. This is what Esther wanted to do. She wanted to just say, not my problem, not my problem. But you know, if you look at the picture, you realize something? That if your head is in the sand, the rest of your body is exposed and you won't see the enemy coming that will take you out. So head in the sand is not a way to live. What I would like to do today is to actually encourage you, motivate you, push you to be the type of person that pays attention to what is going on in the world, that pays attention to what is happening, but not to be afraid. In fact, the most fearless people should be the ones that are in this room right now. You should be able to look at all the craziness that is going on in the world and be like, it's okay because I belong to the kingdom of God and God takes care of his people. And so I'm good. I'm fine. But it's important to know what's happening. Why? Because God wants to use you. Because while you are good, you got a bunch of co workers or neighbors or students at school that you know or whatever that are there and they don't know what to do because they don't know Jesus. And they're looking around and they're going, the thing is hopeless, but you, you are standing strong in the hope you have in Jesus. And you look around, you look at them and you go, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. What do you mean don't worry about it? Oh, because I know somebody. And I'm looking at the economy. The economy is a disaster right now. But you know what? You and I, as the people of God, are not under the economy of the United States of the world. We are under the economy of the kingdom of God. Understand that. We continue to live generously. I don't stop giving because all of a sudden the economy is bad. I know God's going to take care of me. How? doesn't matter how. He'll do it. He's God. If he made the universe, he'll figure out how to take care of me. That's up to him. And I'll let him be in charge of that one. I'll just do my job of following him and doing what he has called me to do. And the reality is we we went on vacation, right? And we get on vacation, and within the first couple days, it looked like the world just started falling apart. I'm serious, no joke. If you're paying attention, for example, right now in Sri Lanka, there are protests that have been happening, and the president of Sri Lanka... uh, uh, ran away from his position, ran away from the country, is no longer in the country. It was actually kind of funny to see because a whole bunch of protesters, I'm not advocating for this or anything, you know, but but the protesters actually made it to the presidential palace and they were sitting in the bedroom watching the TV, the news about the protest. I'm like, that's hilarious. Your protesters in the palace watching the news about the protest. That was great. But They're protesting. Things are really bad. The country is in major debt. They can't pay their bills. Massive problems have started. There's different causes of it, Um, but, but that happens in Sri Lanka. Then all of a sudden we get news that Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, the United Kingdom, decides to resign from his position this is crazy. This doesn't happen normally. Normally, you leave because you're voted out. You don't just resign. But all of a sudden, he resigns. But not only that, we got I think it's in the Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken, a whole bunch of Dutch farmers and their tractors that are protesting if you've seen that one. That one's interesting. And uh, there's all these crazy rules and laws and things they made that have made it absolutely difficult for them to do the work they're supposed to do. And so all over the world, from South America to europe to asia to everywhere all these protests are happening all these crazy things are happening and you look at the world and you go it's all going crazy and i look at them and i go yeah but i've got jesus and i'm gonna be okay we know that the war in Ukraine is continuing to go. It's been five months that it has been going on. The truth is that most every single um, mass media outlet on there is not actually sharing the complete information of what's really happening in that country. And um, I, I pay attention to it almost every day because it's a pretty big situation. And um, um, maybe a little bit too much, but but it's a situation that's impacting the entire world at this point. And, and, and there's just so many things that are going on. And in addition to that, let me be very clear. Because the beginning of my message, I said that the enemy wants to destroy God's people. And that is at work today more than ever before. More than ever before. Yesterday, I was at a conference at a church of a pastor friend of mine here in the L.A. area in Spanish who was having a conference related to gender issues and identity and how everything is going kind of pretty crazy in the world right now and how we as the church need to respond to all of those things. And someday we'll talk about that more. But but, but it was about that. And, and the gentleman that came asked to not be recorded to not have anything posted online because the country he comes from, I won't say his name, I won't say the country, but the country he comes from is a country where if you speak the truth of the word of God that goes against what culture is saying, you will literally be potentially sent to jail or you'll be fined tens of thousands of dollars for simply speaking the truth of the word of God the enemy is rising up against the people of God like never before. But let me make very clear that I am not worried about any of it. But I want to tell you that God has placed you on this earth for such a time as this. There are people that sometimes think, people in this room too, you're like, man, it would have been great if I was like, you know, 40 years old in like the 1950s or something. You know, everything was a lot more chill back then. why God put me in this time? I'll tell you, God put you in this time because he's got a purpose for you in this time. He didn't have a purpose for you in 1950, but he's got one for you in 2022. There's a lot of people that right now, uh, th- those that are there's young people that are considering, Man, maybe I'm just going to wait to get married. Who knows how the world's going to go. Let me tell you, stop that type of thinking. You go and get married. Get yourself married with another follower of Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter how crazy the world is, we're going to continue living as the people of God every single day in every generation. Some people are like, I don't know if I should bring kids into this world. What's it going to be like? I'm going to tell you right now, Who? Cares what it's going to be like. It doesn't matter because your kids are going to be followers of Jesus Christ who will do the work of the kingdom for the next generation that needs to be done. Otherwise, what are we saying? We're going to let the world determine how all of it's going to go? No, my friends. I'm going to have kids. Five. I did my part. All right. We're done. But some of you, it's time to get married. It's time to start having some kids. I'm not joking. Don't wait until you're crazy old to start having kids. I'm not telling you you're not allowed to go out and have fun and go on vacations and do traveling. I'm just telling you, don't accept the arguments of this world that are based off of a lack of hope. My friends, we belong to Jesus Christ. We are a hopeful people. And that is how we choose to live. In every generation. So while everybody else is freaking out, we're the people that will stand strong on the rock of Jesus Christ and God, we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to follow his word and we're going to be obedient to him and we're going to get married and we're going to have kids and we're going to love each other well and we're going to have a great community together because we know in whom we believe. And so, Mordecai tells her, who knows if you've been placed here for such a time as this, And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, the capital city, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. I love that comment. Her maids that aren't even Jewish don't even know her God. She's like, they're going to fast too. It's like, how are they going to fast? Well, I'm the queen. I tell them what to do, right? You're fasting with me. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And what does she say? If I must die, I must die. Oh, that you and I would have that type of courage to follow Jesus. If I must die, I must die. If I must lose my job, I must lose my job. If I have to lose this relationship, not because I'm rude or mean, but because I choose to stand up for the truth, and I lose it because I'm just going to follow Jesus and I'm not going to give in to the way others want me to be, if I must lose it, then I must lose it because Jesus is my highest priority. Jesus is my highest call in this world. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him, And as the story goes, and as I said at the beginning, she went before the king and God gave her favor and the people of Israel rose up and they won a great victory because God always cares for his people and it doesn't matter if you're an Esther with a high position or if you're a Mordecai you're just related to the one with the high position or if watch this you are just a lonely Jewish person in a little town in some corner that got a stick to defend themselves but God was with you to protect you doesn't matter what position what place you are doesn't matter if you're a future president of the US doesn't matter if you're a future business owner or doesn't matter if you're going to be clean cleaning toilets the rest of your life. What I am telling you is that wherever God places you, he has placed you for such a time as this. And your call and my call is to be the people of God doing the work of the kingdom of God for this generation in this time. And we've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is backing us up and walking with us as we follow him in every moment. Can any say amen to that. Amen. Come on, give that applause to God. Stand up with me. Let's pray together. So Jesus, today, today I ask that you would do a new work in our hearts and minds. And that we would become a people filled with the presence of your spirit that we would be a people that are filled with a new boldness, new courage, new hope to be people that walk in your ways. No matter what's thrown at us, no matter what comes at us, no matter what's happening in the world, that we would stand strong in who we are in Jesus. We wouldn't deny it. We wouldn't be ashamed of it. But we would walk in it powerfully because we know who we belong to. And if we lose something, we lose something. If we die, we die. But we know that our eternity is secure in you. So Jesus, I extend my hands towards your people. And I say, Lord, God, would you fill them with new boldness, fill them with the courage of the Spirit of God, and that they would be filled to overflowing with all hope, knowing that their lives are in your hands just for a quick moment I want to ask are you today and you need to either meet Jesus for the first time or you want to come back to Jesus you have been disconnected and you want to come back and and be embraced by the love of the Father once again. If that's you right now just raise up a hand. I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. I won't embarrass a single person in this room. Thank you for those hands that are raised right now and may you walk into the fullness of the presence of God. May you experience all that he has for you and engage him in all that he wants to accomplish in your life be blessed in Jesus name and experience his goodness in these moments in Jesus name and how many say amen come on let's give an applause to God and let's declare this right now let's sing together